catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. show presented by the big lead in the spirit of the season we like so many of you have been discussing what are our favorite christmas movies or what constitutes christmas movie the least entertaining debate of all time yeah you think die hard is a christmas movie that's great how about uh finding a secondary element to your personality to highlight um if there's time but we thought that a more interesting conversation is movies that we can't stand that get tied up in holiday tradition and this came about because i think that i was tweeting about the movie the family stone which is a 2005 movie with a cavalcade of stars that somehow misses the mark at each and every turn spurred on by my tweet my colleague stephen douglas apparently sought this film out he had he had been wandering in the wilderness he had never heard of this he was unfamiliar with this piece of art he watched it i got a desperate missive from him as i sometimes do late at night that he had questions he had thoughts he had opinions he really wanted to dive deep into this movie and it's something that i've been talking around the edges of for about 10 years my now wife then fiance kind of introduced it to me as this rite of passage around the holiday season. So I am thrilled to welcome in Stephen Douglas. We are here just hours from Christmas. We are fending our kids off with Christmas presents. We can't wait to clean up the mess that is holiday wrapping paper. Stephen, let me just open up to you. I got to imagine that you're going to divide your life into two halves. <laughs> point One, before you were familiar and saw the family stone, and then post-Family Stone, in which your entire worldview, I have to imagine, has been rattled. Yeah, last week is definitely uh, the BFS period, the before-Family Stone period of my life. And the things, as we know, it will never be the same. Uh, yeah, I, I saw your tweet. Uh, you said, the Family Stone is a goddamn mess. The plot is insane. Do people not see this? And I literally had to... I literally had to go to Google. I'm like, what is the family stone? Because I had no recollection of this movie. It did not ring any bells. Uh, I went to IMDb. I'm like, I, I guess this kind of looks familiar. I mean, based on the cast, I'm like, how did I miss this? Uh, it, it came out like the year after Love Actually, I think. 
So I think maybe it had that in mind where it's like, oh, we'll get all these stars. We'll do a Christmas movie. But this was just, I immediately knew exactly what you were talking about in that one tweet. The movie is just pure cringe and it's, it's a mess. And I understand why I didn't uh, see it. And I mean, it's rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's worse with the critics than the fans. And the fans are still uh, kind of split, like 60%, I think, like recommended or whatever, however they do the rating. Um, yeah, I, I want to thank you for, for introducing this to me. So, you know, now I can live my life with a dark cloud over my head. Well, I stand by my tweet. I think that's a pretty good <laughs> summation, but we will go to Rotten Tomatoes, like you mentioned. I found this review from Dan with two N's, M. He's a super reviewer, and he gives it a two out of five stars. This was posted December 14th, 2012. He says, The Family Stone is a messy, convoluted family comedy that gets lost in itself. The story follows Everett Stone as he brings his girlfriend home from Christmas to meet his family and the shenanigans that ensue. The film has an all-star cast that includes Sarah Jessica Parker, Diane Keaton, Craig T. Nelson, Rachel McAdams, and Luke Wilson. However, the script is weak, going off in several tangents, and the tone is constantly changing. As a result, the story never gets going and is constantly battling between comedy and drama. Lacking focus and clear direction, The Family Stone is an underwhelming and chaotic film that's not very entertaining. And I think that sums it up really good because where I want to start with this is it doesn't take long for the viewer who has seen it for the first time to start to question this world we're in and the connectivity because at its bare bones, the relationships do not make sense. And it's really hard to understand everybody's motivation at the beginning. And then that motivation and world outlook basically changes based on the scene where it doesn't make any sense. I don't know who they're trying to make sympathetic, if anybody, but there are 10 main characters in this film and nine of them are detestable. Yeah. The fact that this movie made me dislike Rachel McAdams and Luke Wilson is such an incredible accomplishment i didn't know that those two were possible to uh just to not like and yeah it did it like from the very first scene and just she comes in trashing this on sarah jessica parker and I'm, I'm i'm not gonna pretend to know anybody's names i i hope this does not become a part of my uh regular christmas viewing the way it apparently has yours but yeah she Rachel McAdams, she gets out of her crappy car. She has the NPR bag prominently displayed, like just to, so you know who she is. And then she comes in and she's just mean and shrill. And Luke Wilson is awkward and kind of uh, very, has a very rapey vibe uh, through the first half of the film. Uh, So, how how did tell me how you got started your wife introduced you to this yeah i mean i think that this um it had been out for about five years before we started living together and and christmas time came along and i was informed that this was kind of part of the process alongside (laughs) christmas vacation it's a wonderful life home alone elf classics like this the family stone was injected in the mix you're probably wondering yourself does she have it on dvd well you're damn right she has it on oh my and that's 
up until I think this year when we got it on streaming, that's kind of how we watched it. Throw it in the old PlayStation, go back, get those credits menu. Uh, yeah, it, now that part of the experience is pretty good. That does take <laughs> me back uh, to some nice nostalgic memories. But I remember the first time that I watched it, I was kind of like, okay, I don't really vibe with it. And I remember like yeah. two years, three years pass, and I'm starting to be like, you know, this movie's fine. Like it, the emotions I, I understand. And if she likes it, then I like it, you know, and I like cuddling up on the couch, uh, canoodling and, and sharing those moments together. Uh, you know, those are things before you have kids. It's kind of nice, like, oh, nice romantic date night. And, and it feels like comfort food. And, you know, early on in relationships and even the first few years of marriage, you're wise to kind of like keep your objections to yourself or at least limit them. I'm always a little bit hesitant to start sharing my real thoughts about what type of show or movie we're watching because I don't want to be the annoying person who's just, you know, trying to do mystery theater 3000 and, and, and ruin the fun for her. But I think in years, as the years have passed, I think that she has seen kind of the fraying of the edges. I think that she's still holding on to it and we're still holding on to it as like something we watch because it does feel like tradition. This year was particularly hard because I did not edit myself in terms of the comments. Um, maybe there was an altered state going on. I'm sorry. Maybe that was happening. But I was just feeling a little bit more conversational and loose and noticing, <laughs> noticing some things that I don't normally see. And it's probably instructive to lay out the basics of the plot here. And it revolves around Diane Keaton, who plays Sybil, St Sybil Stone. And she is the matriarch of this large family. They have this regal Connecticut home that looks just beautiful from a postcard. And it's the gathering of all her children and their significant others one last time. She knows that she has terminal cancer and nobody else except the father, Craig T. Nelson, knows that fact. So this is going to be a story kind of reflecting on the legacy she's leaving through her children. And as each child assembles there, the main focus at the beginning is with Dermot Mulroney, who plays Everett. He is the all business son. He has met a <laughs> high profile, very serious businesswoman, Sarah Jessica Parker, who plays Meredith Morton. And from the get go, the conceit is that Meredith is not going to be comfortable. She's not going to be comfortable. It's, it's the classic gambit of uh, meeting the family, it's going to be rough. I'm going to be nervous. The problem is, is she's like 40 in this movie. Um, I think yeah, that, these people, I was trying these to, people yeah, are full grown we're both, I think we're, we're almost 40 ourselves. I have to imagine, I can't imagine that I would have a ton of nerves meeting the in-laws and not in the way that I had them when I was 21 uh, and being like the college boyfriend. But the big problem here is Dermot Mulroney wants to propose, but we never get an inclination why he likes this woman. She does not present any single thing that's likable for the first hour of the movie. And it's never explained why they have this connection and what he sees in her. And through the movie, I think that that's reflective of him. And he just, I think that it shows him in, in a poor light because it's like, what does this guy want out of life? What does he have going for them? them like we don't get a single scene of them having fun together or liking each other it's more just like combative and even while it's combative he's pushing the entire time that he has to have this heirloom ring from his mom to ask 
for Sarah Jessica Parker's hand in marriage, Dan Keaton, as she's going to do as this character, is withholding and doesn't want to give it to him because she doesn't like her. But it just doesn't make sense. Like that's the central thesis of the first 45 minutes of the film, maybe hour of the film. It's like they hate this person and they hate her for good reason because she's pretty awful. But we don't have, there's no sympathetic figure in this. And we don't really understand like what he sees in her to begin with. Like, how could you forget to put that element of the movie in? Yeah, the movie starts, uh, the first scene is them uh, picking up Christmas gifts. And Sarah Jessica Parker is on the phone. She's like, well, I don't care if it's Christmas Eve, she can have the day after Christmas off. You know, business, business, business. We need to get this done. And she's kind of rude to him and the sales girl. And, you know, he, don't, Dermot Mulroney, I swear to God, I've never seen a thing he has been in. He is a name that I have heard for 20 years now. And he has never done anything that I have been interested in seeing, even accidentally. They go, they go to the house and she's like, they're going to hate me. And he's like, no, they're not. But obviously she's 100% right. And then you get in and they do all hate her for no reason, except she took the sister to a, uh, a nice restaurant one time and she clears her throat. But also, you know, she does kind of suck because she's super boring and she's awkward and she's a 40-year-old woman meeting her 40-year-old boyfriend's parents for the first time. And they're, yeah, like you said, it's, it's nothing like when you're like in your early 20s and, you know, you're meeting this family. These are uh, all adults. And it's at no point clear why until we find out about the cancer even before there's there's no explanation why she's so against giving him the ring she's like they're all just like you don't love her and we don't know why i mean we also we don't know why he does love her we don't know why he why they know he doesn't and then finally we get we get to the dinner (laughs) the dinner is was maybe the worst scene of anything i have ever seen in my life perfect observation the problem is is that there's like six or seven scenes where i will time my bathroom breaks or snack getting or kid checking or checking an email in the other room because i don't want to sit through the awkward embarrassment secondhand of what's going on you mentioned the dinner scene where things really come to a head before that we have the charade scene uh mm-hmm. which i think is worse because <laughs> I don't think that she is intentionally doing anything wrong. I've watched the scene many times. It's meant to be like she's doing something racist, but it just seems like Rachel McAdams' character is- Set her up. Set her up to do something like that. And that's messed up. Like that's psychopath behavior from Rachel McAdams. And it goes into the dinner scene. And the dinner scene goes on like three comments too long. And basically the thesis here is that this family is extraordinarily progressive. They have a hearing impaired son, Thadstone, played by Tyrone Giordano, who happens to be gay. He is partnered or married with Brian White, who plays Patrick Thomas. So it focuses on like this really progressive accepting family. Those are the only two good people in the family. Absolutely. They're very helpful. 
uh, the, the guy who plays Patrick is always just doing dishes or cooking and being like genuinely thoughtful and kind to everybody, despite like all that's going around him. But it's just kind of like it hammers and it hits and it does all this. And it's like, that's not to say that that's a bad thing, but the opposition is presented in like a cartoonish, impossible way because how does Sarah Jessica Parker go from not feeling comfortable, from feeling like she's imposing to thinking they're not going to like her to basically like doing Fox News primetime at the dinner table <laughs> after she's asked to stop several times, which culminates in coach old Craig T. Nelson finally like he's the calmest one he snaps and he pounds the table twice and like while that's going on it is so excruciating it's so painful it's not funny is this movie supposed to be funny it's not particularly insightful it's just like the most basic good versus bad and to me it signifies a delineation in that relationship between her and the family at large that could never be overcome i mentioned to my wife i'm like i think that's a game changer how did yeah. she so i guess i guess i guess the question for you is how uncomfortable were you watching all of these scenes and how little did you actually get out of them as they closed yeah it the straight scene was horrible it made no sense um you know she obviously set him up which was so messed up and then the dinner scene just Sarah Jessica Parker came off so horribly you know the family was right to in this case to react the way that they did and she just kept digging and they're like and then finally the brother the Dermot Mulroney's like well what did you mean and it's like you're about to propose to her this is the woman you love you should know that this is not in her heart I didn't really get that it wasn't her heart but it was just something that she kept like poorly explaining and just talking about things she didn't really know about or maybe had never even thought about it made no sense that she would say it she like brought up like well what she asked what, what race child do you want you know that is an absolutely insane question to ask someone especially someone you've just met and then she just kept like and but then also there's the part of the conversation where the mother's like, well, yeah, I tried to make all my boys gay. It's like, what? Everyone is insane except for the deaf brother, and that and the deaf part is like the only like redeeming part of the entire movie is that they showed a family who was uh, signing the entire time, you know, to make sure he was included and showing it as a regular part of their life. You know, that is actually interesting. It's something that you don't see. And, but he, they were just there. So basically to set up that, to set up this whole horrible dinner scene. And it was just absolutely brutal and ridiculous and stupid. And, and it's, and the, the issue I have with it is whatever message that it's trying to send, like, it's just not believable because if this person if the son grew up and he was hearing impaired and he was also gay, he's obviously encountered a ton of bigotry and discrimination and heard all this stuff before, maybe not at his home, but if it was at his home, wouldn't that just bring that to a level that had never been before? And they'd say like, 
get packing. We never want to see you again. That's not what happens. What happens instead is she switches brothers. She goes out, she gets drunk, and she hooks up with Luke Wilson, who I like this guy. I love that he smokes weed with his dad on a, on a park bench and, you know, wears like the pink polo with the, the undershirt under it. Like, I totally get that vibe. It's a big Kyle Coster college uh, throwback <laughs> to me. Like, I, I really understand his ethos, but like, they don't care about that. Once she shifts to him, Craig T. Nelson is screaming at her. He goes to like apologize, finds her in Luke Wilson's bed. And like, that's like the thing, like he's just cool with it. So like, my question is, if she's so awful for this one son, why then is she okay for the other? Like what's in her heart? If you thought she was this monstrous, horrible person based on this like cartoonish diatribe during dinner, that wouldn't change just because like, well, I like this other, other boy better. Like you would still harbor those feelings of animosity and it just doesn't make any sense why they're just like, okay, that's cool. Well, I can, I can tell you exactly what happens and actually explain this part to you. She has this freak flag that she hasn't been flying. She goes out with Luke Wilson that night and she lets her freak flag fly. Craig T. Nelson, he opens the door. He sees his son's future fiance in bed with his other son he understands he can sense the freak flag is flying so he's fine you know he's just like let's not make a scene you know we don't want anybody hitting your table here but to set up the this entire thing after the dinner she runs out of the house she goes and gets in the car she comically backs into a tree and then i think she hits another tree and then Luke Wilson comes out while this car is basically stuck in a tree. He's like, slide over. And he jumps in and they head to the bar. It's like, this car has just hit two trees. And then I think, I swear to God, there was a different SUV crashed into a tree in the morning. So they go to the bar and they meet Mark Brandanowitz, who has left Pawnee under mysterious circumstances. And he shows up as an EMT in Connecticut. And he takes Rachel McAdams' virginity, which everyone's so excited about. And, you know, he dances suggestively with Sarah Jessica Parker. And then they go back. The freak flag flies. She invites him over. They, she makes two stratas that she doesn't cover. She puts them in the fridge. She gets upset. She stacks one on top of the other, which is just none of this is, are things that happen in real life. But that does lead to the one actual like kind of humorous scene where they're all doing slapstick comedy, sliding around eggs. And the entire time, I'm just like, eggs are the worst thing to clean up. Because my son picked up an egg and dropped it right in front of the fridge as we were about to head out the door the other day. And I'm like, it's like paper towel. They're too thick for paper towels. You can't, you can't vacuum them or anything. It's just, it's, it's a brutal egg is the worst thing to spill on the floor. So in that instance, I felt bad for the family stone. But also, why is this movie called The Family Stone? This is a nod to Sly. It, <laughs> but that's also family is the, the family. I, okay, this is a great point. The I, I didn't pick this up until like watch four. Their last name is Stone. Yeah. Is it mentioned okay. in the movie? Maybe in passing. It's not like there's a big like sign that says 
stone residents. Uh, it, it, yeah, no, it's, it's for some reason that's subtle. You make a great point in the fact that like, you kind of have this like three stooges routine mixed within scenes that are, you, you just hate when she wakes up in the bed and she's in the wrong bed. You're like, this is, this sucks. Like, I, I don't want to be in this room with these people, with these people, what's going to happen now, what this opens the door for as there's just the old switcheroo. We haven't even gotten to, this is not so much a love triangle story, Stephen. This is a no. love quadrangle. Feeling cornered, feeling desperate, correctly sensing that things have gone horribly wrong and, and off the rails. Sarah Jessica Parker phones her sister, Julie Morton, played by the great Claire Danes, to come give up her Christmas and provide moral support. And wouldn't you know it? that as they're looking to solve the old Meredith situation, old Dermot Mulroney and Claire Danes, they really hit it off. Uh, this is a relationship. You can see why they like each other. They're perfectly suited. Like this is, there's sparks from the beginning. They have good interplay. Like this is obviously the Morton sister that old Dermot Mulroney should be with. But it comes so late in the movie that every single time that I watch it, dude, I think I forget that Claire Danes is going to show up and further complicate things. Like it's not so much just the old switcheroo with the brother. The other brother is going to switcheroo with the sister. Like <laughs> someone storyboarded this up and was like, no, this all <laughs> makes sense. We're cool. We, we're going to handle all the elements beautifully. Another flaw of the movie. And, and I look, we're doing this because <laughs> it's so shocking and confusing, but there are like 14 or 15 main characters and as we mentioned, the problem is that their motivations change on the whim and you're the avatar of the audience is meant to feel different ways about these people based on the scene. And there's almost like no connectivity from the first one. So it's just like, by the time Claire Danes comes in the movie, it's like, oh, well, here's a good person that kind of straddles like the Stone family way of doing things with whatever SJP is doing, but it's just like, I don't care about you. And more important, you deserve better than this guy who is just going to propose to your sister. Like this guy sucks. Like that's the biggest thing. Like I'm worried about the Mortons in this situation for as bad as like those sisters. I, I guess my, I guess my point is she could do much better than this person who's an obvious pain in reeling and yet feels perfectly willing to pick up and go with go with Claire Danes. Okay, so Claire Danes, uh, Dermot Mulroney goes to pick her up at the bus stop. This is a bus stop in a small Connecticut town where people get there by bus, um, and they're waiting for the bus. Like, do you know what she look looks like? I mean, there go and literally two people get off the bus. <laughs> so Claire Danes comes around the corner. She's standing on the stairs, and you see the look on Dermot Mulroney's face like, oh, my God, she's gorgeous. She's perfect. I love this woman. And then she falls flat on her face out of the bus. <laughs> like, why? Why does she fall? Why is this in the movie? What does this do? Yeah, that's and not reflective of her character. She's not a silly person. She's a serious person, if anything. Glad you mentioned the bus stop. The funniest part of this whole movie when they go to stake out the bus station, they don't park right across from it. They park like 400 feet away. So they're like squinting. Like it's clearly marked. There's only one person at like <laughs> the heated, like 
hut that they make, you know, on those platforms and they're down the street, like trying to make it out. Like it's a goddamn sting operation. It, it is wild. Like there's all these things that happen that, and I can tell you is like the 15th time that I've seen this. One, maybe the reason why I don't hate watching it is because I do hate watch it. And I see these things that are like, you got to be kidding me. How did I never notice that not a single person was like, should they be at the actual bus station? No, I think that like down the, around the block. Why would they need to be around the block? Yeah. And, and also the bus station sets up this shot out of an, out of an entirely different movie at the end, right before they do the, uh, the family reunion the next year. They show Dermot Mulrooney walking back from the bus stop. Like he's got a little cut. He's got his hood up. He's walking through the snow and the woods. And it's like, this looks like something out of like a Rocky movie or like a Liam Neeson movie where he's, where he's got a special set of skills and he's, you know, trudging through the wilderness to kill people. And he has this crazed look in his eye after he's, after his, he's, his perfect woman that he's known for and these people that's the thing this takes place over like 24 48 hours where these two these brothers and sisters just switch each other it is absolutely insane and the i mean there's just so much to get to but like the cancer thing is is like hidden for some reason like so that and it doesn't uh, i i did Right. The, it doesn't make sense why the cancer makes them not want him to get married because they think he's just getting married so she can see it. But this is also before they know that she's terminal. Right. It's, very, in, it's just uncomfortable. In, in, in the play of revealing the cancer slowly, like the, the dad knows, and then they go out uh, to use the recreational pot, and then Luke yeah. knows and comes back and gives a hug. The older And sister, that's when you know. And the older sister who we haven't even mentioned, who is, who is perfectly fine, Elizabeth Reeser plays Susanna Stone. Uh, she's pregnant. She is largely fine. The voice of reason. It's almost Her like- Her husband they're like, is not around for some reason. Not really addressed. He's there uh, at the end. He's the, the dude from My Boys, uh, Jamie Kaler. But it's like, she didn't need to be in this movie. She doesn't really provide anything. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't take sides. Yeah, wrapped in all this nonsense is the serious backdrop, as you often forget as you're watching this movie. It's like, am I supposed to feel, am I supposed to laugh? Am I supposed to like feel connection for a love story? Is this a rom-com? No, at the heart of this movie, and I think what they were intending to do is make Diane Keaton the focus of this movie because they're all rallying around her for they don't know it's going to be the final Christmas, but it is the final Christmas. So Normally when they would do something like that, it would be a retroactive look. Um, it would be like a reflective look on their legacy and what they've done. And she does not, I don't think she's very nice. I think she's pretty awful to Meredith in a way that if I had terminal cancer, maybe I would chill out a little bit. Um, I hate to armchair quarterback terminal cancer, but it seems like she has bigger fish to fry than like the small throat clearing issue. Well, SJP suffers from, which is annoying. I will give, I will give the producers uh, and creators credit for identifying a tick that, that is really bothersome. But when I survey the body of her work and what this family has done, they've raised a few good kids, but they've also raised some real stinkers. 
Uh, so I'm not really <laughs> sure that this legacy is anything to be particularly proud of because Rachel McAdams doesn't improve that much as the show goes on. She's kind of like, I'm a loser and this uh, townie loser is, uh, is for me. Uh, we can we can carry those burlap NPR sacks around. Uh, Dermot Mulroney obviously is like going to get himself in some serious trouble down the line if he's switching sisters at this whim. Uh, Luke Wilson obviously doesn't have a job now has to support uh, a woman with very expensive taste. Like I said, the older sister seems perfectly fine, and, and the son is awesome, and his, and his partner is even better. But I'm kind of like I don't like this family. And that is the biggest debate that my wife and I have had. She really bought hook, line and sinker that Sarah Jessica Parker was, was totally to blame for the awkwardness and just the unsettledness. But I think that this family really, really sucks. And I'm not afraid to say it. I side more with Sarah Jessica Parker, even though she does some detestable things. They are so needlessly rude to her when she's a guest in their home and is so unbelievably important to who I think is the favorite son of them all. And yeah, he's the favorite son. Like he's this big man around town where they're like, Oh, I'm going to get engaged. And the lady of the ring store is like, there are going to be a lot of broken hearts. Like, okay. And, yeah. and the fact that all the kids rooms are still exactly the same as if they're still teenagers uh like i got I, when i went to college my mom like cleaned up my room in like a week and i was coming back um luke wilson he the first he immediately saw sjp at the on the stairs you know same exact like uh same setting as his brother seeing uh seeing Claire Danes and you could immediately tell he was interested, even though it's the woman that his brother brought home for Christmas. And the next thing, you know, he's out there, she's sitting in the car waiting to go to the inn, and he's out there thrusting his uh, genitals in her face through his sweatpants. Yeah. The bull, I mean, great work by his bulge in this movie. I will say that I think that that was yeah. kind of like the most dynamic character. And to, to go back to uh, being the number one son, they have that little clip where they're they're settling in and she opens this drawer and all his baseball MVP awards are inside the drawer. And she's like, why do you keep these in here? It's like, that's an excellent question because everything else hasn't changed in the last 25 years. Yes, but thank you. I noticed that too. That never comes back as a baseball enthusiast. I was like, all right, well, we're gonna get, we're gonna get a call back here. It's like, maybe he was, I think he was, he's kind of got like a third baseman body. I think he's got quick, agile. I could see him like stroking a lot of doubles in the gap, but it never comes into play. And it's like that scene suggests that there's some sort of damage or emotional baggage he's carrying by not displaying those trophies but it seems more the part that it's just his mom has isn't displaying his trophies like so many things like that where you watch it one time doesn't even register great job picking it up but you're like is that ever going to come back there was another thing i forget what it was where i was just like is this is this germane like are we gonna why are we spending time on this what i've deduced from my wife is that she likes it just because it's a movie and it's something that she's seen and, and she doesn't want to sit there and dissect it. But I just seems to me that there's so many corners cut in terms of like, why not try to make a likable character? How do you 
set out on the mission of creating a Christmas classic and not give it this heart. Like it tries to play catch up so long going back to the cancer thing is like, this is this sentimental emotional movie about family and loss and all that stuff and togetherness. That's how it's played at the end. And the end scene is really poignant. I will say that it's one thing that it does really well. They, it's the first Christmas without their, without her and they're reflecting on what she did. It's like, why not take some of the DNA we felt in that scene and try to intersperse it in the first 95 minutes of this movie. So it's not just hanging on there. Like someone wrote an epilogue to like, sew it all up and being like, well, here are my, here are my intentions with this movie. I know I didn't succeed, but here's the movie I should have made. And this is the ultimate unearned, like uh, injecting heart into the movie because this everyone's upset and they're Christmas morning and Sarah Jessica Parker saves the day. She makes everyone fall in love with each other all over again by gifting everyone framed photographs of their mother pregnant 40 years ago. This is what she gave to every single member of the family. Thinking that it was the favorite son. No, she said it was just that. It's weird it was, enough. It was the other son. She goes, that's you, kid. That's no, you, kid. I think she said it was Rachel McAdams, I thought. Which, so Rachel McAdams is 15 years younger than Dermot Mulroney. Obviously, you'll have to... I'm never watching this again, but next time you watch, you can tell me who she was talking about. But yeah, this, why, this is the weirdest gift ever, especially if you don't know the woman is dying. This is just, I saw that I, my, my boyfriend has this picture, so I'm going to get it framed and blown up and get a dozen copies made and give them to everyone that he knows. Imagine, so then, let's just imagine uh, you, you have siblings. Imagine if that, if yeah. that happened at, at your Christmas in a few days, um, the newest uh, relationship in the family may be, you know, extended cousins, whatever comes in hot with a gift like that. That's another thing about that gift. You might think that it's like kind of creepy and weird and maybe it is, but it reflects someone who went so far out of the comfort zone, who thought about it like an artist who wanted to make it special and we are to believe that that's the same person who couldn't get off the phone in the car uh, and was just indifferent about all this stuff and insisted on having her own room and not sleeping in the same room and making the family jump through all these hoops. Like how could that be the same person that like tapped into what is meant to be this unbelievably sentimental and poignant thing she's not even like that at the end of the movie and and we can we can dive into this right now unless you want to do more about the picture <laughs> i'd love to talk no. about the picture more but let's just focus a little bit here on the transformation of sarah jessica parker which i think she doesn't transform much she's just a little bit more fun at the end but how could she be more fun and how could she ever feel comfortable in that home immediately right away when you're swapping brothers like, this is the type of story you read about that that ends up uh in like a quadruple murder uh and on the local news because tensions have to be so damn hot in that house from the get-go and she's just like super chill like she got into luke wilson's stash and went to town wow yeah i mean this uh, this has small connecticut town rocked by the death of 
former star pitcher and his and his fiance and her sister who was dating his brother but they used to date and they're all dead now you never you never you never swap siblings unless you have one of your own siblings to offer in exchange i think that's the real message of the movie Hey, while I have you here, let me tell you about something our friends over at the Players Tribune are doing. Knuckleheads, the award-winning podcast. Now, this is a show hosted by former NBA players Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles. It's something that I've been listening to for a while because you get the player perspective. That is something that's long been devalued in sports media. Let's hear what the players have to say. You know what's a good spot for that? The Players Tribune. Synergy. In a Gorshin. All that. Now, the Knuckleheads podcast brings on some of the best NBA players, past and present, to have totally unguarded conversations about sports, culture, and basketball nostalgia. It's in its seventh season, so you know it has a track record. Maybe it's looking for that second contract, looking to get the max from Utah. I don't know. Maybe a blog post about it. Guests this season include Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Sue Bird, and DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan having a great year. I don't want to say it's because he was a guest on this podcast, but I'm not not saying it either. Quinn and Darius, they're lifelong friends and they're bonafide truth tellers. Listen as they invite special guests, high profile athletes, musicians, and entertainers to get brutally honest about everything from current events to untold stories in this, the golden era of sports and pop culture. The show is named for the on-court celebration that they made wildly popular. It's an unfiltered, hilarious, and surprising podcast. And it's like playing NBA 2K with no fouls. That's Knuckleheads from the Players' Tribune. All right, so we've been pretty negative about about this movie. (laughs) Um, And I'll say it again. I will be watching it every year until I die. That is my fate. I am the Sisyphus of this. It's fine. We all make sacrifices. What did you think that this movie did well? Not much. Uh... I also, I also just about uh, them going to the bar. I, I was looking through my notes. Yes, I took notes. Um, when they went, they went to the bar in this tiny Connecticut town, and there's two people in it. Um, this is clearly the only bar. Like there's one bus stop, and they never thought to look in the bar. Um, I, I would maybe look in the one place that's open at that hour. If I was looking for someone. Well, they were, they, they tried to look in the bar. They were just about 400 feet away and they couldn't make it out. And then they fell. It appeared that they fell asleep in the car, which was running in an alleyway. Um, So maybe that explains why the car was crashed when they got home. Luke Wilson uh, woke up with Sarah Jessica Parker on his shoulder. He had about a dozen dosa cases. Um, and he decided to drive home. He crashed into a tree once he got there. No one had any problems with this. Nobody heard anything. Um, There's 15 damn people in that house. I think someone heard the jing jangle and a keys coming in. Everybody's looking for her too. Like if there was a giant ruckus in the middle of the night when you were desperately and frantically searching for someone who was just <laughs> thrown your entire life into upheaval, I think maybe you'd go like check on the banging downstairs yeah 2 a.m hits it's like we have no idea we have two missing persons here but it's 2 a.m it's bedtime we have to get up in the morning all right so let's just 
turn out the lights and ignore any sign of life that uh, we hear. And these two come in, they go, why does she go and get in, be in bed with him? There's, as, as mentioned, she's happy to sleep on a couch. Why does she have her clothes off? <laughs> what are we to believe happened on that first night? Great question. Uh, I've Ooh. always been under the impression that they hooked up. I watched it on, it was streaming on Peacock and there was a commercial in between like where it, I don't know if you watched it on Peacock, but it's kind of like it cut out. So it's unclear the circumstances that led to them being in the house in bed when it, you're right. It does seem like they fell asleep in the car. I don't know if like the original plan was to have them in bed. And then there was like a test screening and they're like, well, they can't hook up hours after there's going to be a proposal. That's just crazy. It needs to be 12 hours. Um, you know, yeah. so we'll make a note, but it almost seems like they Frankensteined that together. Uh, what else you got on that note sheet over there? Why don't we just go through anything that we, that we didn't hit? I'm sure, I'm sure it's all gold because everything that is involved in this movie merits discussion, confusion. We're going to end up in the same exasperated place, but, but we would be remiss if we did not tick through everything that was on your note sheet. No, I've been, I've been going through pretty much the entire time. Um, oh, there's the one part in the beginning where, uh, after the initial meeting in the kitchen, they're all being mean to her and she walks out and Dermot Mulroney is like very upset. So upset that it almost appears like he's going to hit Rachel McAdams at one point. So awkward and horrible. And it's like, and I mean, it, it really felt like that in that, that room. Um, but yeah, it's like, it was just cringe. Cringe theater is the best way I can describe that entire movie. Uh, I watched it on Hulu, uh, after seeing your tweet, I put it on in the kitchen while I was like cooking one day. So I got to the part where she, she was in Luke Wilson's bed, like not really paying attention. And I'm like, what did I miss? So I went back and started it again. And watch like the first 15 minutes. I'm like, why am I doing this again? And then that's when I talked to you about maybe doing a podcast like this about it. And then I'm like, well, I really need to watch the whole thing. So I put it on from the start again, just to try and piece together things. Maybe see if there were any, any signs of why they were being mean or any of that. And, and it was just not there. And I think the, the real red flag about this movie is that it's not on like freeform or AMC. It's, it's not like part of the regular Christmas lineups that I've ever seen because if it was, you know, I would have heard of it, but it's like all these networks who just need like 25 days or 30 days or whatever of Christmas, 24 hours a day. They're like, Mm, yeah, no, I'm good with the Family Stone. You can keep that, and uh, in Hulu's deep dark library, um, you can you can throw that on Peacock. You know, I'm I'm sure there's somebody in Michigan who might want to watch it, but yeah, I the Family Stone can can just go back to not being a part of my life now, and I'm fine with that. I'm sad to hear it. Um, I think. <laughs> When you take a step back, it's really an accomplishment that they accomplished so little considering the cast that was assembled. Mm -hmm. And we can tick through it. Just kind of the thing that stands out to me to Rachel McAdams, which, 
whose part is terrible and unlikable and could have been performed by someone far less capable. I want to point out that this is coming on the heels of Mean Girls. Pause. I'm going to check out when the notebook was released too. Wow. Okay. So she's so good. This was coming on the heels of Mean Girls and The Notebook. We're talking about she might have been the biggest young female celebrity in Hollywood at the time. And she's excellent in both of those movies and plays really dynamic roles. One is kind of funny in Mean Girls. The other one is quintessential romantic lead in The Notebook. They give her like the seventh part in this movie and she plays against type. This is not what she's like. She's not believable like this at all. Like maybe in spotlight, she's bookish in this way, but she's like going for the right thing. Uh, I I guess you could make the argument. And what I wanted to ask is it, it certainly seems like it's one of her worst roles. And looking at the assembled talent that they have, I think that Craig T. Nelson is good in this movie. I will say that. I do think that Tyrone Giordano and Brian White are the saving grace of the film because that's what a relationship should look like. And they play it so well, especially Tyrone who plays Thad, who has to be hurt and has to emote a lot, has to wear a lot of baggage that's imposed on him. He does it really well. And I think that that, he connects with me emotionally Sarah Jessica Parker, I I just, <laughs> she's good. She's good in this movie. Like I enjoy spending time with her because I think that she's doing something as an actress. It's just that the part is so detestable and convoluted that it doesn't make sense. Mulroney to me is awful. I can't stand him. I, I think he's so dry. He's humorless. He's not funny. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing to like about him. He's, he's not a supporting partner. Claire Danes is pretty good. Again, fighting uh, uphill battle to like even be relevant and, and taken serious in this movie. And Luke Wilson is kind of underutilized. I think that he he plays the role in a well. He plays the role well enough where it's like it's believable that this type of guy would pull this shit uh, and wouldn't you know have the family chasing him with pitchforks down the street. But there's no serious dialogue in here. There's no grander statement. There's no like performance that jumps off the screen. And it's like they took, it's like these Yankees teams that have like a $250 million payroll back in the day and finished kind of like 85 and 77. And you can just tell they all don't like have good locker room chemistry. The on-air chemistry sucked between so many people. Yeah. Um, I'll just say that also 2005 Rachel McAdams is, was in a little movie called Wedding Crashers. Uh, so you're taking one of the most pleasant, likable uh, female actresses uh, in in Hollywood at the time and just making her, you know, kind of detestable. It's just a, cra- a lot of crazy choices. It's It's so... It's so damn shocking. And I know that like, this is kind of infringing uh, maybe on IP other places, but why not make this? They seem (laughs) to be so focused on like adding a fourth element to this in Claire Danes. Like it wasn't good enough that there was going to be a familial swap to me. That's just a way more interesting movie 
especially if it comes against some friction, you're not succeeding in making a feel-good romantic romp anyway. It's like Claire Danes was introduced to be like, okay, well, we got to have everybody find the happy ending, whatever that may be, even if it makes even less sense to begin with and takes away from time that would be spent showing these characters doing anything other than antagonizing someone who's a guest in their home. Why weren't there like three or four scenes that showed this family functioning together and being loving and like wanting, I don't want to spend time with them. Like they're presented as like this all American group, but like, it seemed like they're really hostile and awful to outsiders. I don't know what your house was like growing up or going to friends' houses growing up. I don't think that like, on the scale of all this, like I would say that's a really hard hang. This family has really high standards <laughs> for outsiders when they're just a giant globby mess themselves. Yeah, I think uh, if if you want a, a much better version of this movie, uh, watch The Happiest Season, which was a Hulu original last year with uh, Kristen Stewart uh, going with her uh, girlfriend to her rich parents for Christmas, first time they met. Um, it's a family that's not, it, it, it all just makes a lot more sense. Um, so I, I would say if you've watched um, The Family Stone and then listened to this podcast, at this point, I would direct you to Hulu for The Happiest Season. Uh, Daniel Levy's in it. It's, it's a much more enjoyable movie. And we won't need to. We don't need to do a podcast about that 15 years from now because it won't still be bothering us. Yeah, and and we will close here because you know we we spent an hour on this. I, I have a lot that I still <laughs> need to get off my chest about this one. I I think that the thing that is is confounded me the most, and maybe not made me angry. Like nothing really makes me angry. And and again, I'll continue to watch this because any movie is good if you if you just if you decide to go with it and, 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 you know, make the comments to yourself or take notes for a podcast later, uh, everything is content, always be contenting is like, I am under the impression that an enormous swath of America totally missed the point about this movie and totally don't understand like how bad it is and how terrible this family is and how grating it can be to anybody who like examines it for a second. It's kind of like, you're right about it not being in heavy rotation on Freeform or being recognized as a Christmas classic. I would say that like there's probably a lot more people like my wife who just watched it, have made it part of their routine holiday viewing and never reflected on like, hey, is this anywhere near the standard of Elf or Home Alone or like Prancer even? Like, a, like a, if you want to go down like tears and stuff like this, I would put the Family Stone so far down the list. It's like, the antithesis of what I want from a Christmas movie. Like if you take on one end, you take It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which people see as like this sappy, syrupy film, but and I, it is my favorite, so I'm biased about it. It is incredibly deep and poignant and it shows a person at like the depth of their despair and it, it handles both so well uh, and, and with such grace and aplomb. And this is kind of just like, Hey, we farted it out. Like we had the general idea of that's kind of what we wanted to do. We just weren't capable of doing it. And I get the sense too, and I'll close on this. I get the sense watching the movie that they knew it and they just didn't care. 
because it's just kind of like slap dick at the end and, and put together and being like, okay, that's what we have for you today. I'm sorry we didn't execute uh, as well as we could have. And I'm not trying to hammer it. It just kind of seems like if that's the level where they were just like, eh, good enough, I'm not so sure that it deserves to be recognized as, as good enough uh, from people who, who want to be somewhat judicious in, in what they're watching around Christmas time, because there are so many better options than this. And yet I know it's going to creep back into the queue again around this time next year. Yeah. I, this movie just, and the studio probably didn't think they had much there either. Cause it opened against King Kong and got destroyed. It finished third behind King Kong and Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and I mean, it's a Christmas movie. Nobody's going to see the Christmas movie. And by the second week, it had fallen to uh, number six behind King Kong, Chronicles of Narnia, Fun with Dick and Jane, Cheaper by the Dozen Two, and Memoirs of a Geisha. Um, just no one at any point has been interested in this movie. Um, so that's why I think it's really important that we did this. Thank you, Stephen. We're probably going to do this again. Probably, there's probably stuff coming out right now. We can slot you into the calendar for like 2032, maybe a Tuesday in the afternoon when, when you're most free. That's Family Stone. I, I'm, I'm glad we got to it. I'm, I, you know, I don't care. If you didn't like this episode, you probably stopped <laughs> listening long ago. That's fine. It's my podcast. There was a lot of stuff I want to get off my chest on the Family Stone. Stephen, thank you for pushing me to, to explore it publicly, to drill down on some of the things that have been bothering me all these years. And, and hopefully we landed in, in a place at the very least where people who watch this movie and had a similar experience don't think they're crazy because it didn't resonate with them because it is not good. You are not alone. There are many others like us. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.